Well, we're going to read in Acts chapter 15, from 22 to 41, about um, conflict in the church and how it can be resolved and how it is always used for the greater glory of God. But let me read uh, Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 22. This is after they decided in council what to do about the Gentile believers and to require of them nothing more than faith and love. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would add your blessing to this reading and speaking of your word. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. After Jesus rose from the dead, he spoke peace to his people. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give with you. We call this day the day of rest, the day of joy, the the day of peace, because God has made peace. 
We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can and should have peace with one another. Together we rest in and rejoice in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We call this place a sanctuary. Well, what is a sanctuary? It is a place of rest and peace. It is a place of protection, a place that provides safety from danger and difficult situations. We gather together in the sanctuary, and not just our sanctuary, but God's own sanctuary. The house of God is a place of peace. It is a sanctuary from the turmoil and the confusion of a fallen world. And in the church and among the people of God, we are to have peace. There should not be conflict in the church. We should not be at odds with one another. No root of bitterness should grow up among us. We are God's grace-filled people, aren't we? The God of peace leads us, and we submit to Him. So there shouldn't be conflict between us. We are redeemed. We have received grace upon grace. We ourselves have been reconciled to God. We should be at peace. We understand the destructive power of sin, and we seek to avoid it. We understand forgiveness. When our brothers and sisters wound us, or sin against us, or we sin against them, we forgive one another. We do it regularly. We do it often. We practice confession and repentance and forgiveness. We should all be in one accord. The Holy Spirit fills us, doesn't He? In the church, the heavenly life begins now. Something of heaven has broken into the earth and we can enjoy it as the people of God. In the congregation, we should have a sanctuary. This should be a place of peace and of refuge. We should not have conflict in the church. We're brothers and sisters, aren't we? We're all learning together. We're all growing together. We are all maturing in Christ together. We all have the Spirit of God within us, helping us. God has set His love upon us, hasn't He? And He has commanded us to love one another, sincerely and from the heart. We are to lay down our lives for one another. We are to consider others and honor others better than ourselves. Our church fellowship ought to be a place of peace. We should not have conflict in the church. But we do. We often have conflict in the church among brothers and sisters. We fight. Everything that I've said about the church up to this point is all true. We have those divine resources. But there's some other truth that needs to be added into the equation. We still sin. We have not yet arrived. We aren't home yet. And so we have conflict. We are not perfect yet. There's still conflict in the church because, as James teaches, your passions are at war within you. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. So we too often have conflict within the family of God. And we have in our text in Acts chapter 15 two instances of conflicts in the church and how they are resolved and at least the beginning of how uh, the second one is resolved. But what was the conflict? What was the initial conflict? The first was Gentiles. How should we receive them into the church? Do they have to become Jews? Do they have to follow our ways? Do they have to follow our laws in order to be received as full brothers and sisters? 
Or is faith alone enough? And by faith, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are one with us. So they debate, they have no small conflict over the issue. They follow the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures say, and they came to one accord. Faith alone is required to become a Christian, period. Faith plus nothing. But a Christian who has become a Christian by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ should love his brothers and should be willing to sacrifice for his brothers, should be willing to demonstrate that love in very clear and concrete ways, should even be willing to give up his freedoms and his rights for the body of Christ. And so that's what they decided. We must preserve table fellowship with other Christians. So yes, faith alone is required, but then you must love your brothers and sisters. So preserve evangelism to both Gentiles and Jews. Faith alone saves. So they made this decision, and they didn't just send a quick email off to the church. Uh, They wrote a letter, and they sent commissioners, they sent representatives to explain face-to-face what this decision was, to show them that they were brothers and sisters in Christ. They did it with a, a letter, they did it with a visit, they did it with genuine pastoral concern for the church. They were doing all that they could to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, even through conflict. But when all this was resolved, there was peace in the sanctuary. It has been restored. Paul and Barnabas are greatly commended by the church at Jerusalem. They had been willing to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ, to risk their lives. And they are our beloved brothers, That's called. they're called in the letter. So the breach is filled in. And Paul and Barnabas, who were greatly commended by the church in Jerusalem, suddenly they, Paul and Barnabas, have a sharp disagreement. And they are at odds with one another, so much so that they go in two different directions. Conflict can arise even among the best of us in the church. It shouldn't, but it does. Barnabas and Saul, or or Barnabas and Paul, they were at odds with one another. They had a sharp disagreement. And even though conflict is unpleasant, it is still possible in the church. But even with conflict, there can be resolution. And even if there isn't resolution or not immediate resolution, God still works through our conflicts to bring himself glory. And that's an amazing thing. So conflict can arise, but it can also be resolved. So the decision was made. The principle was honored. Faith alone is required to become a Christian, period. We're not going to budge on that. We're not going to add a bunch of rules and lists that you have to do. Do these 13 things and then you can become a Christian. Or do these 47 things and you can become a Christian in my eyes. Or in the eyes of this denomination. No, it's faith alone plus nothing. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a sinner. He is a Savior. I believe Him. If you believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Faith alone is required. So they defended the principle. But then, uh, considerate practice is encouraged. Now these things are still required to preserve your unity with your Jewish brothers and sisters. To preserve Jewish evangelism even, and even Gentile evangelism. So do these other things. Preserve a witness. So the gospel is defended and Christian love was promoted. That was the resolution of the conflict. The foundation of the church was confirmed and the superstructure of the church was kept intact. Faith plus nothing makes one a Christian. You are justified by faith alone. Through the grace, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Acceptance into the church is by faith. That's the gospel. 
The front door of the church is always open and is always unlocked for all who have faith. But love is the required response. We need to love God and we need to love others. So we strive to love our brothers and sisters in Christ after we come to know the Lord. Even yielding our freedom and our liberty to do so. So we strive to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and we do so with all Christians. So the letter that they wrote, in essence it said, yes, you are our brothers and sisters. You belong to us, we belong to you. We are equals. We're not better than you. We are you. You are one of us. And they emphasize that over and over again. And then they said, here are some specific ways that you can respond in love to us as the Jewish church. And so they communicate that decision with a pastoral letter, but not just a letter or an email. They went face-to-face with Judas and Silas, leading men among the brothers in Jerusalem, and they confirm everything by their words, by their presence. Have you ever had an email that was misunderstood? Or a text that people didn't understand, took the wrong way? Well, why can they do that? Uh, Someone once told me, I'm not sure if this is true, but did you know that 95% of communication is nonverbal? is your tone, is your look, is your expressions. Uh, so face-to-face communication is by far the better. So they went face-to-face. They even, I take it, and maybe this is just a guess, they restored table fellowship. They sat down at tables, Jews and Gentiles, and they ate. And they participated, most likely, in the Lord's Supper together to show them that, yes, we are one in Christ. There is no difference between us. We all have faith in the same Lord. So they spend some time with them, teaching, exhorting, in small groups and prayers, showing the unity, showing their unity, not just by a letter, but by their actions, by shepherding, by loving, by table fellowship. Face-to-face, life-on-life, grace-based communication. And then they sent the letter. And again, the letter was very tactful. The brothers respond to you as brothers. If you notice the letter, they purposely call, the Jews are calling the Gentiles brothers. On an equal level, there is no difference. You're fully one of us. I wonder if we communicate that to one another every day or every Lord's Day in the church. You are my brother and sister. You are my equal. You are my better. I'm going to honor you because you belong to Christ and I belong to Christ and therefore we belong to each other. I love you. I accept you. I'm concerned about you. You are my equal. You are my brother and sister. Whatever our differences, we stand together as the children of God. You are important to me. You are part of my family. Now, when you come to church on Sunday mornings, do you receive that message? See, this is where the conflict starts. No, I don't get it. I get it from her. I don't get it from him. Uh, How about on Sunday morning, do you communicate that message? That's the more important question. Do you communicate your love and acceptance of them? Every Sunday morning, we are one in Christ. They communicated that love and acceptance in person, face to face. They said, some of you troubled, or some of us troubled you. Some who came from our church said, you're not Christian enough. Here's two or three other things that you have to do before we will accept you. In fact, we won't even sit at a table and have a meal with you until you do these things. That's what they were saying. They came and they unsettled your minds. They ravished your souls. They said that you were not Christians, in essence. And they have thrown you into confusion. So they addressed that very clearly and very boldly. 
They had no instructions from us. We don't agree with them. We didn't send them. They are in the wrong. Leadership in the church must be clear and must be compassionate. Both. So we did not send them. They take a clear and a decided stand on the main issue. You are Christians. You are our brothers. You are our equals. You don't have to do anything other than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But love is still required of one another. So let us love one another well. They commend Paul and Barnabas. They call them beloved. And they say they risk their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me do a rough American translation of that. These are the good guys. You can trust them. You can follow them. Listen to their words. Listen to their teaching. Listen to their leadership. And they confirm that acceptance, not only in the letter, but in person, as they speak together the word of the Lord. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, they say. While they were leading, they were following. While they were leading the people of God, they were following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Leaders in the church aren't independent We are to labor to understand the mind and the heart of God and to apply that to our present situation. And we don't always do it perfectly. But that's what we're supposed to do. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They were leading. They were following the Holy Spirit. And they were willing to follow. They were willing to change. They were even willing to admit that they were wrong. Now remember, if you take Acts chapter 15 and then compare it to Galatians chapter 2, even Barnabas was carried away in this issue. Even Barnabas got up from the table in the midst of the meal and left the Gentiles. Even Peter did. So in essence, what is happening here is Barnabas and Peter are admitting we were wrong. They were leaders in the church admitting that they were wrong. Has that happened to you? (laughs) Have you ever had leaders in the church say, I was wrong. I did something wrong. Will you forgive me? We should. You should have heard that because leaders aren't perfect either. Paul or Peter and Barnabas needed to be corrected, and they were. So in a conflict, whatever your conflicts are, look first to where you might be wrong. But I'm not mostly wrong. <laughs> look first to where you might be wrong and work on that end of the problem first. And if you are wrong, and you probably are, at least in some degree and at some level, if you are wrong, admit it. This is really radical stuff I'm preaching today, isn't it? If you're wrong, admit it. And even something more difficult, if you're wrong, seek forgiveness. Ask somebody, I was wrong. I sinned against you. I hurt you. I troubled you. Will you forgive me? Don't be proud. Don't defend yourself when you are wrong. If you're really good at defending yourself, it's usually because you can defend yourself when you're wrong. and You've got a lot of practice at it. Well, sometimes we can be really good blame shifters. We can blame somebody else for our problems. Uh, Well, I might be wrong, but they're more wrong. You ever heard that? They hit me first. We do sometimes when we argue with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we sound like two-year-olds in a sandbox. So they follow the Holy Spirit into the decision. And this decision that they made, the Jewish church in Jerusalem made cost them something. They had people in their midst that said, this is wrong. You know, you're you're despising Moses. You're despising the Old Testament. You know, you're not honoring Christ. That's what they had. And then around them, in their community, they had zealots. 
the Jews in general and for centuries didn't like Gentiles. It was a real issue. And now what they were saying publicly as a church, Gentiles are our brothers and our equals. And that stirred up trouble for them, but they made the decision anyway because it was the right decision to make. It kept the church together. They were united on the gospel. It preserved the gospel pure with no polluting additions. And it commended Christian love and table fellowship. So having made the decision and wrote the letter and sent the delegation and the church heard everything that they had to say, the church at Antioch rejoiced. It was an encouragement for them. We are equals. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no divide between us. We are equals. Conflict, when handled rightly, leads to growth and encouragement. Conflict is an opportunity for peace and for reconciliation, for growth. So Silas and Judas, they encouraged them with many words. They preached, they taught, they did Bible studies. They spent time with them and they were sent off in peace. Peace is a really good thing in the church. So Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas, they all continue teaching and preaching and maintaining the unity of the church. The problem is solved, right? Big council, big decision. They handled it well. They kept the church one. Peace is attained. Unity is preserved. All is now sweetness and light. All is now peaches and cream. All is now rainbows and butterflies. Until Paul says, hey, let's go visit the churches again, Barnabas. That's all it took. Well, yeah, sure, let's go, take, let's go visit all the churches and we can take my cousin John Mark with us. Uh, you mean the John Mark who left us on the first missionary journey? Who didn't go to the work with us? Absolutely not, I'm not taking him. But he's useful, he's helpful, he's my cousin, I want him there. Can we? No. What do you mean, no? I'm not taking him. Well, I wasn't actually there. But something like that happened. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement over John Mark and his usefulness on the missionary journey. So let's go encourage the churches that we just planted together. John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia, it says. Why? We don't know. And again, speculation abounds as to why he left. It might have been he was a young man, he missed home. He wanted to go see his mom. Could be that simple. Could be that he had qualms that he about the Gentile mission. In fact, some people have constructed John Mark as the one who was the instigator behind the Judaizers. I don't think that's true. In fact, because I don't think it's true, I don't want you to think that. Huh. But I just told you that. Can you unthink what I just told you? Uh, what am I doing? Speculative gospel is damaging. It's straight from the mouth of hell. And I just did it. <laughs> um, don't... Don't speculate on things like that. Anyway, speculative gospel is straight from the mouth of hell. He might have been homesick. He might have been fearful. Whatever it was, he deserted them on his first missionary journey. He had not gone with them to the work. He turned back, and Paul said, I'm not taking them again. John Mark, or John, left them and returned to Jerusalem, Acts 13. Acts 15, he had withdrawn from them from Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. But Barnabas was the son of encouragement. He had accepted Paul when no one else would. And he was accepting John Mark when even Paul wouldn't. Now, we don't know who was right or wrong in this. The Scripture doesn't tell us. 
So again, it's wrong to speculate. But they had a sharp disagreement, the Scripture says. They had a paroxmos, they call it. Uh, paroxysm. Have you ever had one of those? Uh, the Greek is a, provo- a provocation or an irritation. A sudden, violent outburst of emotion. A sharp disagreement. Paul and Barnabas were godly men and they had a sharp disagreement. They divided and they went their separate ways. Godly men divided and went their separate ways. The Bible doesn't assign blame here, but again, let me do some speculation. I think they're both wrong to some degree. That's usually the case in every conflict. Not all, but most. But God still used it for good. You know what God did when the midst of this sharp missionary disagreement? He doubled the missionary force. That's what God did. God can bring good out of evil. Tradition tells us that Barnabas lived out his days on Cyprus, his home. But later, Paul, to get the rest of the story, later Paul had very good, kind words for both Barnabas and for John Mark. Even though now he's separated from them, perhaps there was a reconciliation that took place that we don't read about. But in, He said about Barnabas in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have the right to refrain from working for a living? And then both Luther and Calvin thinks that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is Paul talking about Barnabas. Maybe, maybe not, but let me read it. So with him we are sending the brother who is famous, that's Barnabas, among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our goodwill. John Mark, later he spoke, Paul spoke of him. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And then the last, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So again, we don't know all the can't connect all the dots, but there was a reconciliation apparently between Paul and Barnabas and Paul and even John Mark. Christians can have conflict, and we often do, and Christians can resolve conflict. God has given us instructions. God has given us the equipment to do so. Even great conflict can be reconciled. There can be a coming together after a great conflict and great division. And we, as the people of God, should look for it. We should long for it. And we should work for it. But immediately there was a division. Two teams, two different directions. Some of you know the story of Martin Luther, how he was a timid, fearful college student, perhaps we could compare him to. And he was traveling home in a thunderstorm. And he was terrified. St. Anne, save me! St. Anne, save me! And if you do save me, I will become a monk. His dad wanted him to become a lawyer. And his dad had sacrificed much to get him the education that he needed to become a lawyer. And two weeks later, against his parents' wishes, he went to the monastery and he offered himself as a monk. And he himself said later, that was a bad decision. I made that decision against my parents' wishes and I made that decision out of fear. So it was a bad decision, but God still used it, didn't he? (laughs) We still speak Lutheranism, don't we, in some degree? God still used that poor decision. God still used that conflict. 
And God still uses our conflict as well. So, in a sinful world, even within the church, we will at times have conflict. In a church that contains recovering sinners, we will have conflict. Godly people can have great disagreements and even sharp disagreements. And we are to strive to follow the Holy Spirit in the midst of conflict. We are to be truthful and compassionate. We are to seek to preserve both the peace of the church and the purity of the church at the same time. My own conviction in conflict is always, at least I try to do this, I think I'm right. I think I'm right. But I know I might be wrong. I think I'm right. But I know I might be wrong. Do not contradict the truth by the way that you defend it. Defend grace graciously. God will glorify Himself and build His church even through conflict. And lastly, be godly in your conflicts. God is to be honored in your conflicts. Though the wrong wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Remember that. Overcome evil with good. That's what we're commanded to do. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Attack the issue. Don't attack the person. When you are wrong, admit it. Seek forgiveness. It's not about you. Something greater is going on than just you. So in your conflicts, pray. Take a stand where you must. Know that you might be wrong. Strive to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as far as you possibly can. Strive to honor Christ. Preserve the peace and the purity of the church. Because we, in the church, have tasted something better than winning. Better than winning the argument. Better than pushing my theological point. We have discovered sovereign joy. And even in our conflicts, we should never lose our taste for and appetite of sovereign joy. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You are the great reconciler. You take men and women and children who are at odds with You, and You bring peace. You bear the burden Because whenever we are in conflict with You, the living God, we are always in the wrong, and You never are. And so, Lord, in every conflict, You are the great reconciler. You absorb the punch. You take the blows in order to preserve peace and unity, in order to draw us to Yourself. And Lord, having reconciled us to Yourself, having bridged that great gulf that we had created by using our own wisdom and walking in our own ways, having bridged that great gulf and reconciled us to Yourself, You have given us the tools and the commands to reconcile with our brothers and sisters, to bring peace in the church, to preserve unity and peace in the church. So Lord, help us to think more highly of You, less of ourselves, and more of our brothers and sisters in Christ.
Help us, Lord, to know the love and the joy and the peace that passes all understanding, even in the midst of conflict and difficulty. You are to be glorified, and you will be glorified. But, Lord, you have given us peace that we might be peacemakers. You have loved us in order that we might love others. So bless us, Lord, as we follow your lead in reconciling the world to yourself. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.